This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading, except from about mid-November to January, the first week of January, in which we do all sorts of things that are related (laughs) to books. Um, But as is our longest-standing tradition, question mark, I believe so. Yeah, our our first bit that wasn't just the regular format of the show, which frankly hasn't changed in the 10 years or so we've been doing the show of talking about the the headlines from the world of books and reading, is our holiday recommendation extravaganza in which listeners write in, ask for recommendations for themselves, increasingly, wonderfully, um, and also friends and families that they're shopping for. Uh, This can be kind of a strange release, um, a podcaster error in y'all's favor that the show you just listened to... uh, that we did a regular news episode last week was supposed to be the first one of these. So there's kind of a bonus episode thrown in here that you're going to notice this is coming out an unusual schedule, kind of a midweek. So you can get a little pre Thanksgiving listening in. And then the second half of this show will be released the day uh, after the Thanksgiving weekend. So hopefully it gives you enough time to do your little shopping and everything else you're going to do. Um, point of order real quick or not point of order, but just a quick note. Or, or a moment to spend on the book buying season. I was in Powell's over the weekend, as I am want mm-hmm. to do, poking around, and I checked our I checked our hot titles to see who is in stock, and everybody's at the party. Everyone's ready to be bought. Oh, I saw good. Babel. I saw I'm glad my mom died. Um, I guess those are the two. There's plenty of Colleen Hoover coming out the windows, even at Powell's. Um, you can get that wherever you want, but it doesn't sound like we're having anything like the. Thing th- I guess there's no even whispers that we heard last year that didn't materialize of a some sort of um, I guess uh, logistics problem, right? Remember last year, everyone's yeah. like, buy your books earlier, you're not going to be able to get right whatever book. <laughs> yeah, we saw that in I think like late September, early October last year. Like yeah. these are the big titles that are going to be hard to get because of either print runs or supply chain issues. And if you want these as gifts, order them now. Also, most years there's a cookbook that this happens with, <sighs> and I have not. That's a great heard point. about that. That doesn't mean it's not happening this year, but usually like no matter how well the publishers anticipate it, there's like some cookbook that has some sort of surprise holiday breakout and starts selling out mm. earlier than expected or just way more than anybody guessed that it would. And the booksellers find themselves running out of it well before you know, Christmas Eve, which is a really popular day I've come to understand for the buying of cookbooks because you're like grasping for a last minute thing and a lot of people like cookbooks and if it's something like it happened with salt fat acid heat a i was gonna say that's ago, the one i remember uh, of late that's like yeah that's like really widely appealing that you could buy for almost anybody without having to know you know their specific taste or dietary preferences or like as we were talking about last week their fiction preferences which is really hard to shop for <laughs> right you can give you them eat a cookbook food? and I, <laughs> right. Surely you can pick something in this 400 page mm-hmm. book and do a thing with it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that uh, it feels this holiday season feels like a return to like, quote unquote, normal to like what we had in the holiday season of 2019. The last yeah. time we had a, you know, a, a normal seeming, you know, supply chain and consumer behavior is uh, has shifted a lot um, from Back to what we were seeing before, you know, everybody was stuck in their houses for a couple of years and just rapidly buying books. Yeah. Um, and so, go, you, you know, don't um, don't dilly-dally. You probably want to get right. there before Christmas Eve if you're going to try to get Babel or Where My Mom Died. Maybe they will sell out in certain places. I don't really know um, what the shape of the buying will be there. But it was nice to see the, the shelves full and 
lot, there's so many books, Rebecca. Oh my word! Are there, <laughs> there a lot? are so many books in the world. <laughs> and so we understand the problem of, uh, you know, this kind of uh, show. And I know some of you that so many of you are listening are sort of the book person in your world. Um, if not your family, then maybe even your extended family or our friends circle. Um, and we always have a lot of fun uh, talking about this. The last episode, the most giftable books of 2022. I think I tried not to do any repeats. Um, of mm-hmm. stuff that we mentioned there. Now, that's not to say that I'm not going to recommend books that I've been recommending for 10 years on this show. <laughs> I even We even have, we should have a gong. We, we always joke about having some sort of air horn or something that goes mm-hmm. off when we finally recommend one of the, I don't know, um, the usual suspects. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a handful of those. You know, that come out. So we'll get into it in just a minute. This is a two-parter, uh, but first we're going to take our first sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Um. We didn't really anticipate this, and it's not really a, a published or, you know, I guess a durable or even codifiable perk of Patreon. But since the episodes go out first on Patreon ad-free a couple days earlier, they the Patreon members do get first crack at submitting their recommendations. Now, we're going to get mm-hmm. plenty. We're going to get through all these into more. But just another side reason you might be interested in Patreon. You can get to the top of the queue. You get to find out first what weirdness is um, we're going to be up to in the first. And that includes getting your recommendations is you want to start, would you like to read the thing first? And then um, we'll start from there. 
Yes. So this is from a Patreon member named Stephanie. Uh, they say, in the summer of 2021, we found the book Wintering by Catherine May, a personal fave of mine, I have to say. So nice job, Stephanie. Um, when we mm. saw that it was broken into sections by month, we decided to read each section in the actual month. And it was such an incredible experience. Any recommendations for something to read throughout the year? They're open to any topic or format. Um, this took me a while. I like mm. this idea of can you read the spring one in the spring or by month or something like that i'm sure there's there are more books that do this um anything that's a diary you know you could read your old samuel peeps and go through 1538 or something like that if you wanted to um i didn't do that i finally thought of a book that i read this year um and let me just say shout out to project uh frontlist i would not have read this book (laughs) if it weren't for project frontlist i would have probably picked some better known to me at least nonfiction title but this is one of the the fruits of that labor it's pig years by ellen gatos who um from the age of 18 worked on farms in new england and got a um i think an mfa or an undergraduate in creative writing at hampshire college so she's a writer by training but also a farmer by uh, avocation and this is she she's kind of synthesizing multiple years of her work on farms but the cadence of the book it kind of follows the year of her life as a farmhand in New England um and of a certain kind of you know the, the kind of farmhand that works at farms that send a bunch of stuff to the farmers market this isn't like huge industrial farming um so the characters the rhythms of the year the kinds of labors her relationships and so I don't think I did on audio. So unfortunately, I can't tell you from just flipping through it whether or not it's sort of easy to see. Okay, here's spring, summer, winter, fall. My memory is of it. It's it's fairly clearly demarcated according to the the seasons. But it makes for wonderful read. It was just wonderful language, very thoughtful by turns, dark and light, um, exuberant and existentialist, um, and and really wonderful book. And I'm really excited to see. What else she would do? I, I can imagine, though, that this maybe was the the book she has in her, in a way, to start, right? You've been mm-hmm. working on a farm since you were 18. You're now 24. You've been working on a farm and writing. Like, what's the next book? Maybe you go to fiction or something else like that. Um, but it does feel like the kind of book you could sit down with and read as, I don't know, some sort of pagan um, uh, uh benediction right it's not pagan necessarily but it's of the earth right it's of the of the land and of our relationship to it um really wonderful stuff and it's not very long um probably the kind of thing that i would recommend you know i've done this more as i've been curating myself for front list um project front list read the first 10 pages on kindle mm-hmm. i'm sorry or whatever ebook thing you want to do or the bookstore i don't know you can find this on the shelves another interesting point a lot of these books came out six months ago I wouldn't count on going down to your local bookstore and finding pig ears on the shelf, right? Now. This book doesn't sell. You haven't heard of this book except for me talking about it. So this is another thing I don't know. So you're probably going to order something like this, but give yourself five or 10 pages and see if it's the kind of, uh, what's this, reading by the fire? We might get one of those later. We got a, a later mm-hmm. reading by the fire. Um, we do. Congratulations to all of you who do that. It sounds great. But <laughs> um, sound this sounds like the kind of thing you'd want to do. So read a few pages. Don't just take my word for it. Um, I, I can lead you to the book, but I certainly don't want you to get into something you don't like, especially when we have the technology to try a sample. And when you're really looking for the the reading experience on a sentence-by-sentence level, look at the format. Does it seem like the year kind of thing you want to do? And check it out from there. But that was a lot on Pig Gears, but I guess I had a lot in me on that one, Rebecca. So there you go. <laughs> 
I've got a handful of these. Um, the one that I think most closely maps onto it is A Year in the Woods by Torbjorn Eklund, uh, which is sort of a modern day Walden kind of situation. Mm. He The book is the story of the year in which he decided that once a month he was going to leave the city on Friday afternoon after finishing work, drive to uh, like a little pond lake situation outside the city, camp there. And just spend the night doing this once a month, observing time in nature, trying to decompress from city life. And the book is structured over the course of the year. And like, it's not all executed perfectly, because who can pull this off without yeah. any kind of interruption over the course of a year? Like one night it gets uh, super cold. And so he leaves early. Uh, and sometimes there are other kinds of disruptions, but that's part of the experience as well. And it's like, I kind of, I, it kind of read to me as like, minimum viable retreat like mm. okay once a month i'm gonna go do this for one night seems pretty manageable because you know we can't all just move into the woods like thoreau did um it was really lovely it's a really quiet book you could move through it in over the course of the year for sure um my favorite food book i think is life is meals by james and Kay salter i mean it's hard to beat james salter oh, writing man. about anything but james salter writing about food is just chef's kiss um, and it is structured also throughout the course of a year it's their his writing about their life together they loved to cook and uh, they loved to host dinner parties they kept this journal in their kitchen that, that he describes as this like very well loved you know broken in leather journal where they would note like every recipe that they had cooked together who came for dinner on October 15th and what they served and who liked which dishes and so they could go back to it and reference over the course of their lives and so the book is structured with memories of some of those key moments that happened at different points in a year and then also recipes that they loved um, I think I've said on a show before this is one of my favorite things to give couples as a wedding gift like buy something from their registry that's for the kitchen and if these are people that I know like food, I also give them a copy of Life is Meals and a really nice new leather journal that they can keep in their kitchen. Um, that's a good one. And also The Taste of Country Cooking by Edna Lewis, who um, is one of, if not the first, um, Black woman to become sort of like a well-known cookbook author. Um, several decades ago, she was, she was from Virginia, and The Taste of Country Cooking is organized really by the seasons, but you can sort of get in there with month by month, or you could break up each season uh, if you mm. wanted to. And she writes about, you know, a real connection to the land, to cooking from what they had, what she and her family had available to them, um, from the plants that were naturally growing in the part of Virginia that she lived in, and then also sort of food traditions that were passed down uh, in the Black culinary tradition of her generation and the ones previous to it. Um, I came really late to awareness of Edna Lewis. And I was really grateful when someone was like, hey, this is a, you know, a great and important book in the history of food writing. Um, that also happens to be structured over the course of a year. Um, and I guess I have a bonus for Stephanie, just in case you did not know, Catherine May has a new book coming out in February that's called Enchantment, and it is about awakening wonder. And it is not structured over a year, but it's structured in four parts of the, um, the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. And I believe that if you wanted to like try to connect each mm. of those elements to different seasons of the year, you could do that. I know they do that in Chinese medicine. So like if you wanted to rebuild your Catherine May project with her new book, you could find a way into that as well. 
got an email recently for someone who clearly was struggling to come up with the name of Life is Meals. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. em- immediately emailed back and just said Life is Meals. And they're like, <laughs> yes, thank you. And that jogged my memory. So it was top of mind. And um, my family and I were at the Multnomah County Library book sale a couple weeks ago. And there was a really nice hardcover version of Life is Meals, which I only had paperback. Mm-hmm. And I just picked it up just to have it. That, that's the kind of book we're talking about. Yep. Uh, Life is Meals. Uh, we probably won't mention James Salter again. He, he usually comes up, but uh, won't, I'm sure it won't come up yep. again anytime soon. Okay, I'm All up right. next. Um, yep. Jeff and Rebecca, I always miss the call for book recommendations. No, you don't. You got it right this time. That was me. So this year, I'm really, <laughs> really trying to be ahead of the game. I'm looking for some recommendations for my dad, who in retirement in his late 60s has recently started to get into reading. Let's go, dad. That's yes. me again. And I couldn't love it more. He likes discussing what he's been reading. And I think it gives him a nice escape from the boredom of waiting on my mom to retire with him in another year. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, you know what? I'm sure he's just miserable this year to himself reading. Sounds terrible. <laughs> Sounds a real, awful. A, real a year of trip. solitude. <laughs> yeah. The kickoff of his newfound love was Stephen King's Billy Summers, which he absolutely tore through, and Bruce Springsteen's memoir, Born to Run. He also really enjoyed The Path, A One-Mile Walk Through the Universe by Chet Ramo. Other recently completed reads, The Art of Fielding by Chad Harbach. Wow, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. That is a which name. Which had the baseball the elements cut. he enjoyed, and The Lincoln Hi- Highway by Amar Taos. I'd really like to give him a stack of books to have at the ready when he needs something new. Always appreciate that you both think outside the box. <laughs> I'm so I'm thinking inside my <laughs> own box here so hard. It's so funny. And we'd love, love to know whatever suggestions come to mind. <laughs> a big fan and appreciate of your work, Caitlin. We are so solidly in our own boxes in the yes. responses to this one. So I latched on mostly to the mention of The Path, A One Mile Walk Through the Universe that okay. I hadn't heard of, but in researching it, like this listener sold me this book. Oh, um, there you go. A little, blow, a little wreck sort of, back. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the author sort of developing, I guess what you could call a close reading relationship with his, with the nature in his like very close neighborhood Mm. um you know like what are what are the parts of nature within about a mile of his home Uh, and that reminded me of how to do nothing by jenny odell which is uh, kind of philosophically about that same thing that uh and it might be a really great book for retirement because i think retirement is often pitched as like now you don't have to do anything but she's like actually here's how to stay engaged with the world around you here's how to feel more deeply connected to the world around you you don't have to retire and sit around on facebook all day which is a phenomenon that i have heard and read oh i've seen a lot about come we'll look at my feed sometime i'll show you the horrors that await you if you're not (laughs) right it's beautiful and i I just I think the vibe of how to do nothing might work for somebody uh, if my read on the path by Chet Remo is correct. Braiding Sweetgrass um, by Robin Wall Kimmerer might also do that. It's just another beautiful book about really understanding the land that you come from. And then I guess I just reached more into my dad bag of tricks. I think yep. Moneyball, great read. Get some Michael Lewis. I think it's that's super a great fun. pick. I had that in mind, and then you snagged it from me. So kudos <laughs> to you for making me mad. And the uh, the Chad Harbach mention, I started thinking like big sprawling novels. Like if dad is yeah. new to reading, you could dip into some good old fashioned John Irving. I think early to middle <sighs> John Irving. Is where you want to go. Um, Shout and for some something names. More recent. No, 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 come on, come on, Irving, Irving X. Oh, come on. I mean, 
This is Cider your jam. House Rules. There you go. Owen Meany. Yeah. Um, a Son of the Circus. The really like this sort of OG mm-hmm. John Irving vibe. That's just a big novel you can sink into and watch all the threads come together at the end. And a, a more recent version of that, like Dickensian sprawl that all hooks up at the end together is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. Um, so if I were buying a stack of books for your dad, that's where I would start is sort of that variety pack. You have really good ones here too. Before, uh, yeah, yeah. Before I get into mine, um, I texted you a screenshot, speaking of Facebook, of John Irving's oh, right. Facebook message <laughs> that you didn't respond to because I think you were abashed. <laughs> Oh, I I think I saw it. You sent it when I was, it was like late at night on my coast. And then I saw it when it was too early in the morning on your coast. And I was like, what is going on here? (laughs) So, so Rebecca (laughs) coldly has abandoned John Irving in his his last, (laughs) his hour of need with the last chair. John Irving abandoned Mm. me. (laughs) Well, okay. But I've heard it's good, actually. Anyway, we don't have to get into this now. But right, I think we talked about the show or, or in private, I can't remember, about how, you know, mm-hmm. I, we wish all the best for John Irving, but maybe not with the last chair list for us. And then on a Facebook post, a very sweet one, actually, apparently he does this. I don't know how it showed up on my feed. I don't follow him because um, I'm a thousand years old and they want to show me John Irving's Facebook updates, <laughs> I guess. Um, he's shouting out like all the best of lists and most anticipated that the last chair lift was mentioned on, mentioned on, and he, he name checks book riot too. And so I highlighted it and texted Rebecca <laughs> just to see what she would say. And nothing was the response I got, which was for her is the sign of really, really feeling some kind of way. That's what I can assume here. Uh, well, I was this. just having a, like, who put this on one of our lists? Cause it wasn't me. No, that's true. That's right. You didn't. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a great idea john irving i mean here's the thing one of the reasons we're not thinking outside the box too much for your caitlin is that it sounds like your dad has uh to to uh, to torture the skiing metaphor powder in front of him here <laughs> down the ski slope he hasn't read too much so we can do we can go back to our favorites we don't have to go for we don't have to think outside the box you know the thing about the box is the things that are in it are in there for a reason in the box yeah, so, you can like play the greatest hits here and that's then you what can I'm go deeper with any of these that he likes. It's like that movie yesterday. He hasn't even heard the Beatles. So you can just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, look, twist and shout. So we're good. So well, actually, that's a cover. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> so I kind of picked up on the Lincoln Highway. I'm looking at historical fiction mm-hmm. here, especially. And then Arda Fielding, like kind of even contemporary books about baseball kind of read as historical fiction, weirdly, because it's true. such a game they do. out There's of like time. There's like an old fashioned vibe. Yeah. Um, so I think to to do some of the recent ones you've heard us talk about, I think Harlem Shuffle would be a good pick. It's historical mm. fiction. Um, it's, a great one. it's from sort of his lifetime ish, right back to the to the to the middle of the century, or at least you know of his of his parents would recognize. And some of that throwback, I think people like to do in retirement, and I like to do that even now as I get older, is to to go back and through time and sort of see how other people lived. Um, on the plot, get through it. If you get hooked into it, Pachinko Biminjin Lee, multi-generational, you can sink into it. Um, and I think that, you know, there's some things that are going to resonate, but this also might be a little bit of a stretch for him, if not for us, right? It's a different culture, you know, di- different languages, different cultural cultural experiences um, and belief systems. And then my great pick, which, oh, wait, oh, here's James Salter again, um, <laughs> The Hunter's. Which page for page I've gotten probably more recommendation juice out of than any book I've ever wrecked. Because it's going to come up later. People saying my dad or someone <laughs> loved The Hunters. So The Hunters by James Holter, it's a it's a fairly short novel um, based in during the Korean War. And it's set amongst a group of, um, 
uh, fighter pilots. Uh, so you could, what 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 retired dad doesn't love fighter pilots? I can't name one. <laughs> show me one, and I'll, and I'll show. I'll give you a dollar. Um, but it's really wonderful too. And then there's entree into all kinds of other writing because I think that's one of the skeleton key properties of Salter, as he writes about dad topics. And you see me rolling my eyes here, for lack of a better term. <laughs> but then he's a literary fiction writer and very sensitive and 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 interesting and com- complicated and not for nothing, one of the great craftspeople of yes. words that I've encountered. Um, so then, then, if, then if your dad likes Salter, you can get into, well, Life is Meals, I think is actually a good pick for a retired person looking back at their lives, frankly. Yeah, that's true. Um, you can get into the rock climbing book, and there's other stuff going on there. Um, so that's another thing I've seen my own father do in his retirement, is find a book that he likes, and then go read and go discover what else is there by that author. And James Salter there for sure uh, yeah, there's can do that for you. Deep backlist for a bunch of these that we picked. Great. John Irving Good and point. Whitehead and James Salter. There are a lot of places that dad could go if he likes any of these or all of them. Um, two James Salters in the first two selections. And we're not here. done yet. <laughs> we are not. We're <laughs> off to off to the races. All right. Next question is from uh, Victoria. She is looking for dad. He's particularly a tricky person to buy books for. He likes some of the usual dad book authors, but he's already read everything by David McCullough and Dick Francis. He's selective about his topics. He mainly likes American history and horse racing, though he will occasionally pick up fiction if it has a good descriptive writing style. He often talks about Time and Again by Jack Finney. Uh, some of his faves include John Adams by David McCullough, The Bully Pulpit by Loris Kearns Goodwin, and Seabiscuit by Lauren Hillenbrand, Laura Hillenbrand. And she says, I know there are hundreds of presidential biographies out there, but I think he likes, above all else, a good story told in a way that makes you feel like you're standing in the middle of the scene. Any suggestions would be incredibly welcome. Um, so a little book called The Hunters by... No, I, I actually, that was my first parenthesis. We need like some way of... Maybe there's a version of this where we get... we At the beginning, before we see the questions, we pick 10 books to recommend. And for each of the recommendations, we have to say, which of those 10 books is the best fit? And I get The Hunters, and you take every other book that's ever been made, and we'll see who comes out ahead. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> kidding a, a, a little bit here. Um, also, I should say, if you're listening to this... Uh, show and you did and one of these questions are yours some of these picks are good you're going to hear other people's recommendation requests like there's a lot of dads mm-hmm. rebecca we didn't talk about, there's a there, lot of dads here a lot of dads there's requests. this is a dad heavy it request really here is. for sure yeah um so hunters you can try that um but i think even without the hunt even if i didn't have it off the board already i'd be taking one of my other recent recommendation regulars um by some mm-hmm. alliteration for you barbarian days by william finnegan who is um who went on to become a magazine writer but in his early days was one of the first world traveling surfers um and boy, oh boy, is this a great book! It is really it's such wonderful. A great book. You're, it's not horse racing, but it. I think it has that kind of alternative sports thing that horse racing does. But there's a lot of characters, a lot of locations. Um, it's about him. It's about the world. About a world that's lost in a lot of ways. These spots and these locations that once were undiscovered now are tourist traps. Uh, not traps necessarily, but they're known now. Like. 
we're going to Hawaii next week and we're going to go by Jaws, which is on the north coast, north coast of Maui, one of the great surfing spots in the world. This is the kind of place in 1964 only locals knew and all the hardcore people now. Now dummies like me are just going to go look at it just to talk about the different kind of world that we're talking about spans the world so you get some travel there's kind of it's a sneaky travel book i guess at the other at the other thing about barbarian days as well but you get to learn about surfing and then just the pleasure of the sentence itself i think one of the one of the virtues of having read a bunch of books is you can find books about topics you like and really like them and there are many i do but the specialness is a topic you like the cake is something you like but then the writing on top of it Mm-hmm. Is, is additive and this is one of those books and then the hunter and a lot of things we're going to talk about um and it sounds like when he says the good descriptive writing style that sentence is baby so i kind of picked up on that one as well so that, yeah. that's my main pick for you barbarian days by william finnegan all right well i need to ring the bell or strike the gong or whatever. yeah here it is <laughs> here it is emperor of all maladies by siddhartha Mukherjee. <laughs> it, it's written as a biography of cancer and i Every year when one of us recommends this, we talk about how that's just a beautiful concept for the way this book is put together. Yeah, for how did our understanding of cancer develop over centuries? How does it work? And Mukherjee, because he is not just a researcher, he's a practicing physician, weaves it through with stories of his patients and stories of some of the people uh, whose illness gave rise to groundbreaking discoveries in cancer science and cancer treatment. It's wonderful. The sentences, man. The sentences are so good. I've been kind of tempted coming out of Song of the Cell to go back and reread Emperor of All Maladies because it was it's been twelve years. It came out in twenty ten. And I just remember it it blew my mind. Um, just an incredible book. And that thing you're talking about where dad likes to be in a good story told in a way mm-hmm. that makes you feel like you're standing in the middle of the scene. I mean, Mukherjee is better at that than than almost anybody and maybe the other almost anybody there is my next pick which is anybody anything michael lewis (laughs) like i don't i don't really think anybody is better than michael lewis at dropping you into an interesting subject maybe even one that you didn't know you were interested in like or, or that you didn't know could be entertaining like how did the um, financial crash of 2008 come across, come right. about and who who knew about it and what could they have done and who were the players? But he drops you right into the middle. He finds people that are just fascinating characters that he can spin the story around. And it's really great. Um, and since Victoria mentioned that dad is a Democrat, so we can do presidential biographies, but she said avoid anything like Reagan would be a no-go. I'm going to toss out maybe Confidence Man by Maggie Haberman. Mm. I just read it. It's not a presidential biography, especially in the like uh, old fashioned sense of like historical document of admiration for a person. Um, But I think a really important historical document that takes a look at Trump's whole life. Um, It's it was holistic in approach, not just the political years and the time in the White House and the aftermath, but really his entire adulthood, his entire career and laid context for some things that I found to be really helpful. Um, I know folks have had some objections to like she saved stuff for the book. And she actually addresses this in the book, that there are stories that took so long to confirm that she could not confirm them like while he Mm. was still in the White House or while he was still running for office in a way that would have impacted potentially public opinion. Um, So those things got confirmed in time for the book. It's well written. Haberman can write. 
don't know. I'm glad that I read it. I can't say I enjoyed the process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where we're going to leave that one. I was reading a little, I guess, profile of Haberman. I can't remember where. And I guess I knew, but I've forgotten. And and I'm I'm asking you here if it comes across in the book, how like, what a weird relationship she has with Trump. Like he'll just call her or whatever. Yeah, yes. I really would like to see like, wouldn't that make a great subject of like a play or or some sort of movie or something like this? Like this two person weird, I don't know what this symbiotic, yeah, it, parasitic, whatever else that relationship is. She does. Strange. She does write about it, like just picking up the phone and him being like, "It's Donald." Here's the thing I want you to say. She writes about some lunches that they had about like texts that he would send her, or sometimes when she wrote a piece that he didn't yeah. appreciate, he would just start tweeting about her, like her name becomes famous outside of New York Times readers because of him. He right. really Streisand affected her. And she doesn't spend a lot of time like interrogating that relationship, but it is pretty present on the page of like that. She had reported on him for a long time uh, and they had this sort of a standing, increasingly antagonistic in both directions relationship, yeah. I think. Um, but it, it was really interesting to see her note that and and how she handled it. I was. I came across a. I can't remember why, but I was thinking again about the Steve Jobs movie that Aaron Sorkin wrote, starring Michael oh, Fassbender yeah. and Seth Rogen. It was basically about the relationship, mostly about Steve Jobs. But the best parts were between Wozniak and Jobs, and I was like a similar kind of almost black box movie with the two of them at the center. I would watch the living crap out of that, especially oh, if Aaron yes. Sorkin decided to write <laughs> the language for it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I texted you this weekend, I just saw She Said, mm-hmm. the adaptation of the book by Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy, and there's a lot of just like, the reporting stuff there, just reporters on the road and the people that they're trying to get interviews with, and who will say things and who won't say things, and are they going to get Weinstein or are they not? And I think a similar, like, yeah. if you could get sort of a two-hander yeah, <laughs> about Haverman right. and Trump, it would be fascinating. All right. I think the next read's for me, uh, Rebecca, and Jeff, a request for myself. There you go. That's what we like to hear. I'm a new mom who's looking for a few audiobooks to sustain me through the long, late-night hours of infant care. Oh, darling, do I know what you're talking about. I'm open to both nonfiction and literary fiction, but specifically like something that's fantastic on audio, whether it's a compelling subject or a great narrator. I've enjoyed Patrick Radden Keefe's books on audio, and I love a good self-narrated food memoir like Kitchen Confidential, Eat a Peach, or Cry in H. March. I mean, checker on a checker on a checker for us, Mm -hmm. Rebecca, for those three. I have Heartbreak. That was my first thought by Florence Williams lined up and currently enjoying Matrix by Lauren Groff. I bet that's good on audio. I don't do much fiction on audio, but I bet that's an interesting Mm -mm. one. First person. um, Is that first person? It's not really. It's close. It's close third, I guess. Yeah, it's close third. And any others I should explore. Thank you and love the show. Uh, Chloe. I'm realizing I should have put The Martian... (laughs) and Project mm-hmm. Hail Mary on here. And since you didn't, I guess I'll just kick us off with those. Those are just two big winners in my last decade of audiobook listening. They are fun and funny and engaging. You will have a good time. Um, I really liked, for the food area, Rebel Chef by Dominique Crenn. Uh, she, I think, is based out of San Francisco now. I think I first became aware of her through an episode of Chef's Table. Um, mm. Just a really interesting life. Uh, unusual to be a woman who becomes very famous yeah. in the food world, she, especially at, at the time that she did. I believe she's in her 50s now. So um, she was really in the 
dealing with the like boys club of sort of old fashioned food world stuff. Uh, she's also queer. And so that sort of double marginalization really made her work and her life challenging and interesting in a lot of ways. So I, I really just learned a lot and found her to be an interesting person. She also has a lovely accent and she reads the audiobook. So as a narration experience, that was really nice. Um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, one of the funniest audiobooks I've ever listened to. Um, it's a little older now, but like it's yeah. about his childhood and his early adulthood. So like it's not like it's outdated, uh, but just interesting. He's an interesting guy. He's had a, a fascinating life. Um, and just recently, I, I was listening to Matthew Perry's memoir, as I talked about on the show. Not a light subject at all, but it would ring your bells of compelling subject and great narrator. So I'll toss that in. I wonder, um, I would like to see a follow-up to Noah's Born a Crime about his years mm. as the late night, uh, the, the host. The yeah. ce- I mean, the celebrity. I mean, think of the stories he has now. One that would be wonderfully <sighs> yeah. and hilariously wrought um, by Trevor Noah. It would be great. Would now that, that he's... And, yeah, now that he's leaving, maybe he will get to do something yeah. like that. Um, I went for audio specialness. Um, mm. I think they sponsored our show last week. So disclaimer. They did. Or they did. Inside Voice by Lake Bell. Uh, it's a Pushkin joint. I say go look at the Pushkin catalog. Um, they specialize in audiobooks that are supposed to kind of only be audiobooks. And I don't know if there's even a print copy of Inside Voice. I don't know how you would do it. Lake Bell is an actress. Um, but also especially well-known for her voice work, even made a movie, which I really enjoyed, called In a World, about uh, movie trailer narrators. I mean, it's about a whole lot else, but like that's the conceit that she's trying to become the female version of the dude that says, In a World, over movie trailers. <laughs> Um, and then she's a great mimic. She's very interested in language and accents and how the human voice works and what we do with it. Her performance of this, I don't even know what to, I guess it could be almost a one woman show, except for all the clips that she's bringing in. Like she plays voicemails from her family, recordings of her she has when she's 12. Oh, it's, wow. It's that thing that Pushkin does, and I think this is the thing we didn't know we wanted. I'll speak for you and I here when we mm-hmm. talked about enhanced ebooks. We wanted enhanced audiobooks. We're doing things that only audio can do. This is one of those. I, 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 I was great. It's not very long. I mean, unfortunately, what you're looking to do is eat hours, and neither of my picks are long ones. Um, this, I think, is six hours on audio, though she's such a good narrator, I didn't speed it up because she, she reads like speaking and speaking is faster than narration and one of my audiobook pet peeves is narration narration um mm. i like even when we we're doing annotated i even sort of like to perform like more like i was speaking than i was reading or narrating um it's really good uh I, i'm not sure it's, it's gonna blow your mind though she does talk about like especially the politics of female voices um as you might imagine that's for, foremost in her mind as someone who works in hollywood as a woman who's interested in voices as well um, and then there's a late night quality to intimations by Zadie Smith. And again, it's a COVID thing. And I don't, your mileage may vary about how much you want to go there. At this point, for me, the topic matters less for Zadie Smith in this one, though it matters. But again, sentence level. But the real gem here, as we've talked about before, is Zadie Smith. It might be one of my top five favorite narrators just by herself. And she's narrated, this is the only thing I've ever heard her do. Wonderful, warm reader. And a wonderful mimic. So when she's doing the characters in her family, in her neighborhood, whether in London or from her childhood, in, or childhood in, I think she grew up in London. I'm, I can't remember exactly where and over in the UK, but also then in New York. 
Um, she would do a little bit of singing, which is so charming. I was like, wow, oh, this is really right. great. So th- I think you'll feel, I think kind of what I want to recommend for you is where you feel like you've got someone there in the room with you on these late nights. And I think both of those, both of these books mm. do that. Um, Zadie Smith's you Innovations know, in Inside Voice by Lake Bell. You talking about Zadie Smith mimicking her family reminded me, I think it's criminal if we don't put Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood on this list. <sighs> Did you do it on audio? I did. Did I do this on audio? I think I did I think too. You did. I think I, I did. I think you're the you reason I did it on audio. Yeah, it's oh, sh- that's right. Okay, I'm getting confused with something else. Yes, yes, Patricia Lockwood's Priest Daddy. Okay, yes. Oh, that's it is a great a ride. thought. That's a great <laughs> thought. Like it's a ride. And I can't even remember the setup. The setup doesn't even really matter, but it's like her dad was a priest and then yeah. isn't a priest cuz they have he gets married and has children but it's this kind of zany family sort of defrocked because he had kids and it's yeah. it's complicated uh, as you might it is impossible from- yeah <laughs> it's impossible to sum up her voice oh, is wild right. the family one. stuff is wild it's so entertaining and she's just a, a, like a character yeah yeah. That's a, that's an all timer. That is an all timer. I had forgotten about. I think my my the records are lost. The Library of Alexandria in like twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. I don't know what happened yeah. to my reading list files, and I that was right in there. But that's a great mm. thought, Rebecca. That's a really good one. Um, okay, so who read last? I can't remember. Let's see. You. I read the last. Read one, last. So yeah. So I'll read this one. Uh, let's see. They are looking for a book or a stack of them for their slightly curmudgeon other half who enjoys historical fiction. But then they also say, I mean, if it happened last week, that would be historical enough. Uh, and they're the subgenre of outdoor adventure fiasco with man versus nature, but with a deep reverence for the natural world uh, also works for them. I knew where you were going to go with this, so I'm just going to hand it that, to that's you. That's <laughs> fine. I do like, um, I read this as subgenre outdoor adventure slash fiasco man. I was like, oh, the fiasco <laughs> man. I could, I'd read that. I know that genre. It's like someone who just got like themselves Florida into man. a jam and have to the <laughs> fiasco man. <laughs> Suddenly I find myself with my arm trapped under a boulder. <laughs> right. <laughs> that kind of 27 stuff. hours? Yeah. Yeah, so you correctly assumed, um, I was reading this, I'm like, okay, did Rebecca already get to Peter Heller? And in parentheses, you have assumed Peter Heller would be your pick, So because I recommended to you, you very kindly mm-hmm. passed the book to me. I would say all the Peter Heller books, specifically the guide, well, maybe the river, go look at the synopsis pick, maybe get uh, several of them. My entree mm-hmm. was dog the dog stars, which I think, because it's a little less, oh, I don't know how to put this. The Guide and the River are very much like they are outdoor thriller adventures, and they're really great. And I think another thing, I don't, I wouldn't say he's William Finnegan, but it's elevated writing in kind of a genre yes. category. Um, so it crosses over into a literary mold, which is why you and I tend to like it. The Dog Stars is post-apocalyptic, but very lightly so. Um, the main character finds themselves holed up on this compound, I think on the front range of the Colorado Mountains, with someone else that they kind of just got thrown together as the, the the stuff went down. And so it's a working relationship, but not necessarily a warm one. And it's a survivalist tale, but also an exploration of like, you know, survival's not enough. As all these kind of apocalyptic books that are worth their salt eventually come to is survival not enough. You can do Station Eleven, you can do The Road, you can do all the ones you want to do. Um, but this one's pretty good too. It's very, it has a very like 
um, how would you put it, like logistical bent? Like how are we going to get from A to B and taking care of the water and the gas in the plane and all that stuff, which I really enjoy. And I think the curmudgeon historical fiction outdoor adventure person likes that. Oh, how did they get up that mountain with a leg broken and only, you know, a rubber band and bubble gum to get up there? How'd they MacGyver their way through a forest, I think is what you're looking for. But then the guide and the river are a little bit more straightforward. They don't have that spec fic element, so your mileage may vary there. But just take a look. Pick one out. And if, if you don't want to pick one out, get the guide. There you go. Peter Heller. Pretty good. Yeah, that's just, it's just a straight shot to the middle of this request. Yes. I don't even know where to go with it. Like For somebody who spends a lot of time outdoors, I don't read a lot of it, at least a lot <laughs> in fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for I, I really latched onto the deep reverence for the natural world within fiction thing here. And there's some elements of that in Small World by Jonathan Evison, also just a big, sprawling work of historical fiction that winds through America before it was America up to the present day characters from diverse backgrounds and experiences, really interesting questions. And it has that Dickensian thing that I love of like a bunch of threads that you're not sure at the beginning how they are related Mm -hmm. all coming together at the end. So I think that might ring this curmudgeonly readers bells, but there's no there's nothing better here than a Peter Heller pick. You you win this one for sure. Listeners out there, if you have Peter Heller read alikes, I don't have like who's the next author on my list. I don't have one. Um, I, I'm, I'm assuming there's more out there, but I don't have a good follow-up. And I could use some because this, this kind of thing does come up from time to time. Yeah. Uh, All right. Is it's it my you. read? It's me. It's me. I'm, I'm now down the Peter, Reller, uh, Peter Heller rabbit hole on Amazon <laughs> looking at the other books. Um, okay. Would love a recommendation for myself this year, exclamation point. We would love to give you one. Emily, spending a lot of time reading for graduate school, so would appreciate a book that is easy to get into and propulsive while being character-driven, as you prefer that more than plot-driven. This year, some favorite reads were Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, Dinosaurs, um, and The Swimmers by Julia Otsuka. Thank you so much. Triple exclamation point, Emily. All right. Uh, well, since you liked Lydia Millet and Julia Otsuka, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I skipped this... over saying Lydia Millet's name. I just realized that. Sorry. Thank you. Oh, yeah, Thank yeah. Um, but since she liked those, I think this is a reader who can hang with some slight weirdness in their yeah. literary fiction, a little a little something off or different. Uh, so I, I'm going to start with Now Is Not the Time to Panic, Kevin Wilson's brand new novel. I love Kevin Wilson. There's always something a little bit different uh, in his fiction. You can sink right into it. And this one, like I went into this totally cold. All I knew is this is the new Kevin Wilson. So I was delighted to discover things that I would have known if I had read the jacket copy, like that it's a novel about two teens in the 90s who create artwork that accidentally starts a satanic panic in their small town. Whoops. <laughs> and that it like, uh-huh. And As then it does. sort of, <laughs> right, just it spins out of control the way that satanic panics did mm-hmm. and do. Uh, they couldn't stop it if they wanted to, but it becomes this cultural thing that decades later people are still talking about and that has shaped the narrator's life. Um, it's great. Just really fun and funny. Uh, you will get sucked right into it. And it is mostly about the characters and how they deal with it, this thing that's happening and then this thing that had happened to them. Uh, Clara and the Sun by Ishiguru, another wonderful, just like the swimmers was really quiet. And so I also yeah. kind of picked that up here. Like Clara and the Sun is really quiet. Um, and 
And it's kind of amazing that a book that's told from the perspective of an AI in a like near future can be really quiet and meditative, but it is because Ishiguro is magical and nobody's better at character driven quiet. Not much happens, but you're fascinated the whole time than Ishiguru. Um, and maybe The Change by Kristen Miller. That one's a little bit more plotty, uh-huh. but super, super fun in which women, a group of four women who are hitting three or four women who are hitting menopause discover that they have actual powers um, through that change that is happening in their bodies. And they use it to basically become like vigilante crime fighters. <laughs> it was very satisfying. You know what's funny about The Change? And then I read uh, when... Women were dragons at the same time, so they're they're twinned in my mm. mind. They're they're high concepts, and I think weirdly both of them would are kind of wanting to be more character studies than plot driven, even with an extremely high con- um, plot with with a lot of oh, plot. They kind right. of they mm-hmm. kind of feel like they kind of want to actually be more character studies. So I think <laughs> the change is high concept, and they are vigilantes, but that is not the most interesting thing about them. It's their relationship no. to each other, and then kind of what they're going through them by themselves. Um, so I think that's a cagey pick, Rebecca, there. Um, Thank you. On my list, I'm going back a couple years to a literary bestseller from two years ago, I think, The Vanishing Half by Rip, and mm-hmm. it was. It's a really good pick. It's uh, It has quite a bit of plot, too, but it also becomes down to character and relationship. So the setup here is um, twin sisters who are born into a family who lives in this town for light-skinned black people. And then they move away, and then one of them starts to pass for white. And I think that's enough to, and that's enough as, from a plot point of view. Mm-hmm. It's about identity. It's about relationship. It's about character. And it has, I think, m- one of the reasons it sold particularly well is it has enough plot that it's the kind of commercial literary buyer was into it. Right? Is that what you would say? Is that a fair characterization oh, of it? Oh, for sure. Yes, yeah. it made the book club rounds. Yeah. Yes, it, it definitely does. And it's hard to make the book club rounds without pretty good plot without a page shirting quality that isn't just about character. So that one's really good. Um, and then this one I read this year, another one that's actually, a, I think, a character story with more plot than it knows what to do with, The Family Chow. Mm. I didn't love, love it. I really liked it, but I'm kind of wondering what you would think of this, Emily, because the the setup here is there's this family, The Family Chow, and I think they're in the upper Midwest somewhere, but it's a first and second generation family and the first generation has run this restaurant, and there's a domineering patriarch. And then the kids are, you know, all dealing with that domineering. They're all back together. The band is all back together again for one weekend, and I don't Ooh. really remember why. I think it's just that one of the kids is back, and the other two live there. And then there's a murder. So it's like this domestic thing with a, with a real huge plot thing in the middle that I'm not used to in a book like this, especially inside the family. Um, so it's a little bit betwixt and between, and I'm the more I think about it, the more my I think my B plus reaction was I wasn't sure what to do with that because kind of like um, um, lessons in chemistry, I hadn't seen that before, so it felt mm. disjointed. But maybe that's just the awkwardness of the new uh, as a reader, not as a writer. But I the more I the more I've, time has passed, the more I admire and and like, and to the point where I'm recommending it to you, Emily, the Family Chow by Lan Samantha Chang. So those those are my two picks there. I think you just sold that one to me. I would I'm be so interested to see what you think. It's a good over the holiday reading experience. A lot of it happens in winter time. Um, feels like it's very cold there all the time in this book. So um, it's a good oh, winter okay. read. That sounds good. Can I guess I want to make a recommendation request to our listeners. Yes. Because I have a long 
I've, I'm also going to Maui, but at around the end of December, um, you and I did not plan this, no, did not. <laughs> this to happen at the same time. Um, but I want to, you know, take some paperbacks with me for the mm. beach reading because I don't like to sit on the beach with my iPad. And I would love some recommendations for stuff that's out in paperback that I might have missed when it was in hardcover or a really good beach read. I'm going to finally do an Emily Henry book. I haven't decided which one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, listeners, shout, send us Why emails. Why not Beach podcast, Read again? Right or what, what's the yeah. book? Is that the co- Beach Read? Is there's that Beach Henry? Read. Yeah. yeah, there's Beach Read. And then there's what people we meet on vacation yeah. and then book lovers. And I think I have been given enough advice that book lovers is probably not the that. one I want to yeah, read. Do yeah, one. but I'm going to try one of the other two. But I would love some other paperback recs from folks. Yeah, okay. Let me know. Uh, All right. My read. This is looking for um, a a recommendation for a new to him author for their husband for Christmas. He only reads nonfiction, is partial to biographies and memoirs. This year, uh, he read books about Elon Musk, Rob Lowe, Will Smith, Matthew McConaughey, Nick Offerman, the good Bourdain biography. Thank (laughs) you for that distinction. And Dave Grohl, although he didn't like the Dave Grohl one. Uh, He loved Klosterman's The 90s, doesn't like pop psychology books like Gladwell or Freakonomics. He'll read anything by Walter Isaacson, John Krakauer, or Bill Bryson. Cherno gets too detailed for his tastes, doesn't like anything medicine related, so Mukherjee is out. He's also recently gotten into golf and loves to ski. Hope these details help. Sarah, this is like really incredible detail about a person's yeah, preferences and, and dislikes right. A plus on giving us guidance. This is some here. Hugh Laurie in house level triage <laughs> uh, differential. It's not lupus. It's not uh, yes. definitely not lupus. Cystic fibrosis. It's none of those things. So what else is what yeah. else could it be? Uh, and she says the last two books that I bought him as gifts, the 90s and the Bourdain, were recommended by us on the show and at large and he loved them. So she's hoping for a three-peat. Yeah, I'm patting us on the back for this. Um, I'm kind of cheating. Um, okay. Because Rogues by Patrick Radden Keefe, A, is entree to Patrick Radden Keefe. I feel like Patrick Radden Keefe might be a good author for your fella here. But Rogues, which I've talked about on the show before, you don't have to pick a person because each one is a profile of a different person. And as the name suggests, they are not square uh, square dealers, straight shooters, uh, <laughs> plain talkers. They are, I think, convicts, criminals, conmen, some alliteration that only Patrick Redden Keefe mm-hmm. could come up with there. He's a wonderful writer. He gets into it. The piece de resistance is his relationship with El Chapo to the point where El Ch- his profile of El Chapo is so good that El Chapo asked Patrick Redden Keefe to ghostwrite <laughs> his memoir, which That's is, I don't know. That's such an incredible story. Is there a bigger magazine profiler flex than something like that happening? <laughs> I cannot think of one. Like, a profile no. so good that the narco boss of our lifetimes wants you to be their ghostwriter. <laughs> and if, if Husband here listens to audiobooks, like, this is, yes. it, Rogues is so great on audio because hearing Patrick Radden Keefe, which you recommended this to me on audio specifically, mm-hmm hearing him be like the phone rings and el chapo wants me to write his biography (laughs) and like that's terrifying (laughs) what do you do it's amazing and i'm kind of guessing that this and i have a little bit this too i don't really read biographies anymore though i do like a memoir but what i really am looking for is to get you know in to know interesting people that are real Mm -hmm. and this you get you know a bit of a smorgasbord and then if he liked Patrick Radenkeefe, then you can get to some of the other books. Um, you know, Empire of Pain, if you want to read about that. I mean, the title there tells you that's a tough hang, but a wonderfully important book to do. How detailed. And I think this could open up another layer of um, 
reading outside because it sounds like he's kind of reading the ones that he not this is no shade I sh- but like what's on the the t- p- the table at Barnes and Noble under memoir mm-hmm. and biography and that's fine great if you enjoy that but it sounds like he might be mining for other things the other thing i was thinking about that came to me before and i while i was wandering around the other day and didn't write it here maybe look at the the works of stacy schiff um oh she has a new a really Cleo- interesting pick. cleopatra biography out and again, she doesn't have the profile of the names here, but she's really, really good. And so you might be able to slide in something that's just a little bit different, kind of peel back some more uh, layers of the onion um, of your of fellow's reading personality. I found with someone like this, it's not so much that they won't or try these other things. They don't even know to try them, um, that mm-hmm. these kinds of books are out there. So anyway, Rogues by Patrick Radden Keefe. I haven't read the Stacey Schiff Cleopatra, but I read the one about witches, which was really interesting. I think she has one more can't think of it at the top of my head, but you might look and see if the Stacey Schiff books, any of them strike your um, uh, strike you as being particularly amenable to his uh, liking. Those are really great picks. Um, I noticed this was a pretty dude-heavy list, so mm-hmm. I want to break husband out of that and introduce him to some women doing good stuff, too. I think Mary Roach might be a fun one here, a little... Which one do I was you thinking think? I heard this like, thought, too, but then I saw you... Which of the Mary Roaches? Because there's now nine of them. Grunt, maybe? Yeah, Stiff is, I think, still like the classic entry yeah. point because it's a subject that we don't get enough writing about. But I really liked Packing for Mars, yeah. also about you know how space travel works. Um, Bonk is really funny. <laughs> Mary Roach writing about sex <laughs> research is, is like right up there. It's really great. But since he read Nick Offerman and Matthew McConaughey, and there is not a small amount of humor <laughs> in no, both of those. No. Um, I think Mary Roach's approach uh, to life and the kind of the universe and everything, it's like a funny, snarkier Bill Bryson in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I would... I would put put her on the list. Um, I checked in with friend of the pod, Josh Christie, who is the biggest skier I know, and asked about some skiing books here. And he recommended Powder Days by Heather. You went out. I, I like you snaked this from me. I was going to recommend. I've read this book anyway. That's oh, fine. you did. Josh knows okay. What he's well, about. this is the, this is a good pick. Yeah, he said that it's the best book he's ever read about what it feels like to be a skier. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'm glad that you've read it too. Um, sneaky political I didn't too, know that. if that's something. It's sneaky political, which I like myself. Interesting. But, yeah. yeah. Um, Isabel Wilkerson, just, well, I think the way that she presents history and writes it into narrative that's just grounded in like rich detail not even sneaky political, just political, political, um, is really wonderful. Um, I can never remember the title of the first one, but cast from last year Uh, is is really wonderful. Warmth of other suns. Yeah. My brain was going a thousand splendid suns and I was like, that's not right. You're, you're kind Um, of mixing a couple of (laughs) all the suns. Yeah. Um, and then for your like sciencey tip, I really think that somebody who likes the books on this list would like I Contain Multitudes by Ed Young, but I don't know if that's too medicine related for him. So I tossed in Hmm. An Immense World, which is Young's new book that's more about the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if somehow this man has not read Stephen Johnson, you got to get him to Stephen Johnson and, you know, how we got to now and those kinds of things, um, sort of big collected cultural, social history, right. history of invention, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you can make the switch a, from history of people to history of ideas, then there's a whole lot, there's, right. there's a lot of worms under that rock. Um, interesting. That's a really great way to phrase that. Yes. Expanding to history of ideas. Okay. 
let's see. I it's read. You. My read. Um, hi there. Hi there. I wanted to send a recommendation <laughs> request for myself. Years ago, near the start of my audiobook journey, I listened to The Museum of Whales You Will Never See by A. Kendra Green, and I've been chasing that high ever since. I think y'all might have been where I got that rec for that. Jeff, pause. I'd never heard of this book. Did you mention this book? Me neither. No. Okay. We cannot take I credit for this. this. <laughs> I need this person to write back and tell us what is amazing about this audiobook. So that um, we can yeah. Get there I, too. Did you look it up on? I looked this book up and it's about someone who goes to all the weirdo museums in Iceland. Apparently, Iceland oh. has the highest number of museums per capita in the world and they're to very specific subjects. And uh, fascinating to see. Yeah, what's so great about this audio? I, I'm, I'm willing to believe it. It's just, I don't know. Tell Other us. Other highlights. The Bird Way by Jennifer Ackerman. Word by Word by Corey Stamper. That's good because Internet by Gretchen mm-hmm. McCall. That is actually a really good audio book too. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Girly Drinks by Mallory O'Meara, which is also good. The Truth About Animals by Lucy Cook. Uh, do you have any more books in that vein? One thing, I need the books to be narrated by the authors or else I can't listen. Well, that's a stronger... Um, edict than mine, which I prefer the the author, but I don't need it. Uh, thank you and take care, Morgan. Okay, Rebecca, this is a maybe more of a Rebecca-shaped hole, but I'm not sure. It feels maybe, maybe a little bit more like it. If maybe. Um, I was really fascinated by how different the subject matter of some of these highlight yeah, audio listens. This is an experiential rather than subject matter, Rex, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I just went straight for really good experiences on audio that I think mm. might translate for this person. In my top five forever is When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams, which I read in print approximately one million times the year that it came out. <laughs> and then I got it on audio so that I could just dip in and out of it when I wanted to. She has one of the best reading voices and it is just, the audiobook is just beautiful. It's, you know, soothing and thoughtful and meditative in a lot of ways. Um, I just find her to be kind of entrancing. It's a great audio experience. A totally different flavor of great audio experience is How to Be Perfect by Michael Shore, which we talked about on our most giftable books of the year. So it's Mm -hmm. not my only pick right here, but that's a really great, fun audio. He does lots of footnotes, but they weave them into how it's presented in a really nice way. Um, and I, I also think Big Friendship by Anne Friedman and Aminatu So, um, which is about their like a decade of being best friends who also hosted the Call Your Girlfriend podcast hmm. together. And their that friendship is like one of the most important relationships in either of their lives. They met in their mid twenties. They wrote this book together in their mid thirties. So like navigating more than a decade of a friendship in in times when life changes, people are moving across the country. Somebody gets Gets partnered, somebody gets unpartnered, also their business partners. How do you make all of that stuff work out? At one point, they go to couples therapy together as friends to like make sure that they're preserving their friendship in the way that they want to. And I just mm. thought it was, it's a great book about what it's like to have those kinds of friendships in your lives, but also just the way that they write to and about each other is really lovely. And the audio was fun and they narrated it together, um, which is not an experience that I've had with a like, Two people narrating a book together about their relationship with each other is just a great mm-hmm. vibe. Um, so that's, I think that's my big pick there. I went, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find a through line of topic clearly, which is fine because it does sound like an audiobook journey as an audiobook experience. I couldn't really find the vein of connectivity. So I went with a slightly of a zag, which is, 
I was trying to think of the audiobooks I remember listening to. Like I can remember mm-hmm. myself listening to them like in the car or while I was painting a room or just doing something. And one jumped out to me in thinking of this is I remember Hunger by Roxane Gay, a very difficult <sighs> book. There's a, it's That's super a brave heavy. audio choice. Well, I, I'm saying it right now out loud because it's it's very heavy. It, it's heavier than everything you have here, though it's not. It's sort of following down from when women were birds because you're getting heavier mm-hmm. and heavier as as we go. But as an audiobook experience, um, there's kind of nothing like it. It's Roxane Gay's memoir of her her own history, all the trigger warnings uh, for sexual abuse, um, harrowing stuff there. And then that how that's followed her to her thinking about her body and her life and her weight and her eating and identity. It's as open and raw and as close to someone's experiential metal as you're ever going to find. And when you're thinking of singular audiobook experiences, that's one for me. This is where I get to shout out Heartbreak by Florence Williams. Yes. Right? I think this one mm-hmm. is a level or two lighter than hunger, maybe closer to, you know, word by word, it's a book about language. So is because internet, frankly. So they're <laughs> lighter, but they're interested in the world and trying to connect idea, big ideas about the world to specific moments or relationships or words or phrases. Um, so I think that one would be pretty fascinating as well. I, I was, I, Yeah, I'd be curious to hear, especially for this one, we always want to hear y'all's reaction to how our recommendations went over. But Morgan, if you pick any of these, let us know if we were even in the ballpark. Because I could feel like I could be, I could be throwing a strike, or I could be like Charlie Sheen in Major League and throw <laughs> it like above the backstop here a little bit. Um, so hard to say. Okay, I think you know, my the, read is. Oh, go ahead. The Major League reference makes me surprised that you didn't talk about the Church of Baseball up a couple questions. You for know, the person who's I did dad. think about this. If we could sidebar for a minute, here's the thing. Yes. You have to like the movie. And if I don't know mm. you like the movie, it's not, I don't think it's good enough on its own to be like, I don't know anything about this movie or I was lukewarm about this movie. I'm gonna, it's not that good. But if you like the movie, it's great. So for the right reader, it's great. But I almost need someone to say, it's not even enough to say you like baseball, frankly. You need to say, I, yes, do, they like, do you like the book Bull Durham? Yes. Then I can recommend it to you. But short of that, I don't think I can do it. Maybe, maybe if you like books about Hollywood, maybe I could do that. Mm. But. Okay. I really think it's pretty specific, but I, I appreciate you being worried about how I was going to get um, <laughs> The Church of Baseball by Ron Shelton, which is a wonderful memoir by the author, writer director of um, Bull Durham about the making of that movie, which is great. And if you out there know someone who likes Bull Durham, that's my rec. But you didn't mention that in your recommendation request, so I cannot specifically tailor it to you. But there I am. Okay. Uh, All right. Mine? Yes, yours. I'm terrible at keeping track of whose turn it is to read. Um, We've reached the point in the year when my wife says I'm no longer allowed to buy books off my TBR (laughs) list for fear of duplicating a Christmas gift. So I'm in search of good Christmas slash cozy reads. I'm not a big romance reader, but I really enjoyed In a Holidays by Christina Lauren, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana, The Switch by Beth O'Leary, and all of TJ Klune's books. Big bonus points if there's a lesbian couple, especially if they are moms. I would love a backlist that I can get from the library, but I'm open to new releases. Thanks, Jessica. Well, you did your homework here. <laughs> I did. Well, you go first. I mean, I cheated. You actually have picks, but I have a reference. 
I have picks. Um, my first one, these are both new releases, um, but that are on my radar for this year. The first one is Kiss Her Once For Me by Alison Cochran, which uh, I started over the weekend. And I have not concluded that this is a book for me, um, mm-hmm. but is about. it's set in Portland. It's about, uh, I think, some, the Gen Y kind of characters, maybe Gen Z characters. Um, so they're in their early 20s. Uh, I, the main character sort of stumbling in her life, feeling a little directionless, dealing with a lot of anxiety, had this magical Christmas Eve a year ago where she bumped into someone. She like she met a girl in Powell's and they spent the mm. whole day together and it was snowing and wonderful. And she thought like, maybe this is going to be it. Maybe like this is my person. And that was it. They had that one day together. And since then, there's been sort of, you know, no romance in her life. Um, And this is another little lesbian holiday romance novel. I don't want to say any more about the plot. Um, I think for me, like I started it the, um, I I don't know any more about the plot myself. And I tried not to learn about it because I like to go into books cold. I think the characters are a little young for me to relate to. And so Mm. since you're looking for characters to be moms, I don't know that this is like a straight shot of the middle. Um, The other one on my list for the holidays is The Holiday Trap um, by Rowan Parrish, which is about... um, a woman who lives in a tiny small town in Maine um, and nobody understands how hard it is to be a lesbian living in such a small world. And she figures out that she needs to like get some space to figure herself out. And a, a friend suggests that she do a house swap with a guy that they know um, who has just learned that his boyfriend had a whole secret life and he wants to get away from his life in Louisiana to like lick his wounds and sort of figure himself out. And so a friend of theirs suggests that they do a house swap. Um, This is, you know, kind of straight out from the holiday with Cameron Diaz. (laughs) And um, who is the other woman in that movie? I can never remember. Um, It's, it's, it's Rachel Weiss, right? Or Kate Winslet? Which one is it? I get them. It's Kate it's Winslet. Kate Winslet. Yes, okay. It's Kate Winslet. Yes. But since this person uh, mentioned liking The Switch by Beth O'Leary, which is about a young woman who trades houses with her grandmother and goes into a small town in the UK, I think this vibe might be right for you. The Holiday Trap by Rowan Parish. I'm going to read it over the holidays for sure, but I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Uh, now continue with your well done cheating that well, I think probably I saw, better answers this question. So I was looking, you know, I was, I'm entering these into our shared Google Doc as the emails are coming in. And I was like, when I saw this one, I was like, okay, well, that one, I don't have a reading experience um, that immediately comes to mind. I'm going to have to go do some homework. And then I think in the intermediate, one of the intervening days on a little website called bookriot.com, there's a post called Happy Holidays, New LGBTQ Holiday Romances for 2022. So that is my recommendation for you. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can see there's a lot of different picks, a lot of different kinds of things. In trolling through it real quick, I don't see there's one that's a home run bullseye to mix my sports and gaming metaphors, Um, but a lot there. And I guess a, a meta note, This does this list exist six years ago? And this many oh, new no. releases for holiday. Isn't it remarkable? I mean, sometimes... It's wonderful. Kurt Vonnegut style, you got to stop every now and says, isn't it grand or isn't uh, isn't this great or isn't this nice? What is the line? Isn't this Gosh. nice? It's isn't this if nice. This if this isn't, isn't nice, nice I don't is, know what is. I don't know what mm-hmm. is. This is one of those, if this isn't nice, I don't know. There's still a lot of ways to go, but um, that there's a whole list of, looks 12-ish, if not more, new LBTQ holiday romances. So 
circles within circles within circles there. I'm so glad that these exist for people that want them. And it looks like that's the best I can do for me, mm-hmm. Jessica. I hope something there um, sounds great to you. Uh, let me do a sponsor break. And then we'll do a little bit more before this part one wraps up. Okay, this is your read. All right, this is from Kate looking for a recommendation for herself, looking for something based on vibes, but is going to try to give us criteria. And so the vibes we're trying to match are Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, The Old Drift by Namwali Serpel, The Actual Star by Monica Byrne, To Paradise by Hanya Yanagihara. So just pause here for applause, Jeff O'Neill. The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. The rough criteria are doorstop category, 400 to 600 pages. Follows multiple characters, ideally over different timelines or with interweaving narratives. A touch of sci-fi fantasy, futurism, or genre stuff that doesn't feel too genre-y. And of the books they listed, Cloud Atlas, The Old Drift, and Luminaries are among the faves. The other two didn't quite hit the mark, but she enjoyed reading them. Take it away. Um... (laughs) Does above six hundred pages not be? It's not a doorstop. I guess that's furniture. Above, <laughs> I guess that's a different category. Uh, just, then now we're just splitting hairs. <laughs> I was at a friend's house the other day, and they had a paperback of it on the coffee table, and that thing is five thousand pages long. I, I don't think it's been a while since I've seen that book, and it just—I don't know if it was large print. I was like, "Is that really?" That I was shocked. Was it also, that mass market paperback? That yeah, was impossible to hold. I don't even them. know. Is a human supposed to hold that? Some sort of robot <laughs> reads that? I don't know what to do. Also, the nine-year-olds that were in the room were like literally oh, terrified God. of it. <laughs> like it was just sitting there, and they were all staring at it. Like it was nobody's walking. Like, near like the an table. open, an open beaker of bubonic plague. They really didn't want to be close <laughs> to that thing. Um, I've got one. Okay, and I think. I can't quite suss the difference. Like why? So the favorites here, Cloud Atlas, The Old Drift, and Luminaries. The ones not listed as favorites were The Actual Star and To Paradise behind Nagahara. A little hard to say why you might like one different than the other, but my pick is Trust by Hernan Diaz, which came out this year. And it's long. It's certainly long enough to fit in this category. And how it's done is it's four novellas together. But they're all circling around a robber baron banker, I think in the 20s. It gets confusing, and you'll hear why in a second. So the first one, I think, and it's been six months, and it's it's complicated enough that my memory of it is a little less than specific. You can go do your own research about it or pick it up and see if it's exactly right. The first one's a memoir of this banker, and the second one is like an odd, like a biography based on that memoir, and the third one is like correspondence of the person writing the biography of the first person, but they're all mm. trying to go around this similar topic. I think it's virtuosic and difficult to wrap your head around, but I didn't find it hard to turn the pages, which sometimes books like this are hard to do. It doesn't really have the genre stuff, unless you count historical fiction, which I kind of feel like is cheating when we say genre, don't you? That's not what people mean by genre. Yeah, I don't think they mean yeah. historical fiction. But I thought it was remarkable. I think it might be a little closer to Cloud Atlas in terms of their refractions of the same story, though. That's what I don't know. That's my pick. Go read about it again. I don't know that the ten page, but like read if you read even like a New York Times review or a Washington Post book review where they're actually like trying to get the details right and explain it to someone who will probably never read the book. 
that will give you a good hint. But this is my pick, Trust by Hernan Diaz. Um, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more end-of-year listy stuff for this because it is the kind of literary, formal experimentation, interesting, unusual for commercial fiction subject matter. I don't think it's sold well enough. I think it's probably hard to get into. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be exempt from award season. I just haven't seen as much as I thought I was going to. I, I just haven't. So maybe if you like an under-the-radar kind of a pick, um, that will get you there as well. Go pick that up if you can. I've been sort of circling trust for like six months, unable to decide if I'm going to go in or not. <laughs> did you? Well, of the books here, you're not... Did you like... Have you read Cloud Atlas? Do you like the luminaries? Did you do I, these? Do you like these? I did Cloud Atlas and I was like, fine on cloud atlas but yeah. not knocked out by it um and you didn't do to paradise well talk about your pick and because i think it's an interesting yeah, yeah. i'm just circling it mine it, it's a little under the 400 pages yeah. here but the candy house by jennifer egan rings the rest of these bells multiple characters different timelines interweaving narratives a touch of futurism and genre and spec fic stuff but that is it's so literary in its writing that it doesn't feel super genre-y and like not really much happens (laughs) this is very much about like the ideas of the book um it is it's challenging in putting together who these characters are and what the connections are in some ways she really really trusts readers to like be dropped into the mess and to figure it out themselves, which I do think is a hallmark of the rest of the titles that she's mentioned here. Um, I just think it might be worth a shot if you haven't read it. And I don't know if you needed to make it into a 600 page experiment, you could read a visit to the goon squad and the candy house together. And then you'd be at like yeah. seven fifty. <laughs> <laughs> you could That's <laughs> put them together. All right. You want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. And this will be my read if I can get back to my tab. Okay. Um, I'm not going to read all of these books and series here. But um, anyway, book recommendation for me. I'm always looking for a book or series featuring a strong woman who works in the outdoors or in law enforcement with much of the activity taking place outdoors. More specific this year, Rebecca, sidebar. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting some pretty specific ones, which I like, <laughs> but it, it really makes me put my hand to my chin and furrow my brow sometimes. Um, books with male main characters and authored by men are also okay, in parentheses, okay. Uh, books or series I've read include a lot here. I guess to summarize them, not generally my cup of tea, um, but, and I don't know a lot of these. I had to look up some. So I mm-hmm. largely ignored them, I guess, it's, um, for my recommendations, <laughs> Rebecca. Uh, um, to skip down to the end, fiction and nonfiction are fine. Plot and not too slow pace are most important. Okay, um, that's And helpful. yes, I did love Crawdads and Rugmeck in my book group. They all loved it too. Uh, I'm so glad, Sharon, you were felt confident enough to say that to us. I, I'm not, no shade. That's great. Tell us what you like. Mm-hmm. I, no judgment here. Yeah, it's, um, a, yeah look, it's really helpful, especially for this, to know what people like. Looking forward to listening to more episodes. All right, you're up first. Okay. Um, I want to just second the emotion. I'm really impressed with the specificity of yes. people's requests this year. Like, I, I don't know. I'm so all over the map in what I read. I think you are too, that like, I could not nail down something like this if I had to send in a request for myself of like, woman in the outdoors in these particular uh, vocations, and that a lot of it takes place 
outdoors. It's really cool to like see that all those threads connect and that there can be so many examples of it for this listener. I latched onto Woman in Law Enforcement uh, and went with Wild Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams, which has all the hallmarks of like a good suspensey thriller and is set at the Supreme Court. It's about a young woman who clerks for a Supreme Court justice and uh, he is dying, but like possibly in suspicious circumstances. And she gets sort of unwittingly pulled into kind of a conspiracy around his life and something that's going on at the Supreme Court. And also maybe someone is trying to kill him. Uh, And it was just a lot of fun. Um, We don't get a whole lot of mystery thrillers by women of color. My our writers Mm -hmm. at Book Riot who cover the mystery thriller suspense space are talking pretty constantly about how difficult it is to find um, enough diverse voices to do what they want to do in that genre. I'm not sure why that lag is happening in that genre, it's, it's but a good like, question. like white dudes just continue to dominate there. So I really wanted to reach for an author that that would meet this listener's requests of books that are about women characters doing these things, um, and then to be able to reach for a woman of color author as well. I really enjoyed While Justice Sleeps. It moved. It had some like Da Vinci Code elements with like Supreme Court and there's conspiracy uh, and the main character. I mean, she's clerking for a Supreme Court justice. She's really smart. Um, it's mm. not direct law enforcement, but like legal profession uh, adjacent. I just thought it was a, a really fun read. Um, I'm not going to try to recommend books to you that I haven't read. I'm not doing the, I'm going to go research because I'm just going to try stuff that I like that I think is adjacent. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess my, my series pick, I don't do a lot of genre reading, but I read every Jane Harper book that comes out. She's an Australian mystery thriller, police procedural writer. Um, I don't, to, to be honest with you, I think some of the detective slash main character women, though not all. Um, I think she's great. I look forward to each one. There's not so many of them that I'm swamped. I think she does about one a year. There's one coming out this spring. I really like those. The first one got me, the first one called The Dry hooked me, and I've mm-hmm. been for each one. The Lost Man, though, I think is the best one. Um, also, this is a little bit of a zag. It's it's a memoir, but it's about a woman doing interesting stuff. Um, it's Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin. She quits oh, her job to learn pick. to be... Basically, a handy person, right, Rebecca? Right? She she kind of she leaves, leaves her she desk job a as a reporter, carpenter, handy. Yeah, I guess it's just a straight up carpenter. I don't really know the difference between a carpenter and just a handy person. They all seem like they can do magic to me. So, oh, what's the difference between different kinds of magicians? Is kind of what I'm thinking here. But she's learning about the tools of the trade. She has a really fascinating relationship with her um, older female mentor, carpenter teacher. Uh, basically, she answers a want ad for a carpenter's apprentice and makes a life change. And she's a writer mm-hmm. by trade. She's she's written some interesting, I think one interesting follow up book. I don't think there's two out, but I, this might be interest. This might this might be something to stretch your own legs if you want. I really liked it. Um, the other one that occurred to me later that I didn't come back and put in, I didn't see a ton of French among the listed books here, and oh, I read the smart. first one into the woods, which is great. And I knew if I continued, that would be a rabbit hole. Someday, maybe that's when I'm retired. I'm going to go read all the Dublin Murder Squad books. I think there are six of them now. Um, The first book, Into the Woods, has two lead detectives. One of them is a woman. Her name is Cassie Maddox. And I believe she becomes the lead of that series for the rest. Don't don't hold me to that. Um, But I think probably at this point, 
Tana French is the leading sort of literary slash mystery writer in terms of sales um, out there. It's Her books are hotly anticipated in a huge fandom. And maybe you've already read some of them. Um, but if you hadn't, go pick up Into the Woods and see if you get into the Dublin Murder Squad because um, it's pretty great, to be honest with you. Uh, and I think we're going to wrap up there. Also, out in the outdoors, I should say, into, it's called Into the Woods. Australia is basically one big outdoors. <laughs> Right, for Jane Harper. Uh, most yes. of your carpentry is happening outdoors, or at least the beginning parts of it. All right, Rebecca, that's episode oh, episode one. Did we get even halfway through? Almost. I, I put in big red letters. Almost. Way done. <laughs> Almost. So um, <laughs> I'll talk to you a little bit later today. And for the rest of you, enjoy your holiday break. I hope you find whatever it is you want over the next few days, um, whether that's eating or talking or communing or... Um, getting some alone time, turning some pages, watching some stuff. Uh, take it easy. Enjoy yourselves. And we'll talk to you soon.